Thank you, Mike, for that message through song. We are going to continue in our study of the book of James this morning, and we're going to be in James chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 today. So if you have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, would you please turn with me to James chapter 3. Um, James is in the back of your Bible because it's one of those letters that was written by not Paul. And so if you turn almost all the way back to the back of your Bible, you should eventually find the book of James. We'll be in chapter 3. And if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Thank you to you dutiful uh, Tunnel Hillers that was already standing and waiting when Mike came up to the stage. You guys are, you guys are amazing. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through to verse 12. And the Word of God says this, it says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us and we direct their entire body as well, Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every beast, for every species of beast and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. While we bless our Lord and God with it, we also curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Please be seated. You may or may not know this, but horses are really big animals. I did not grow up around horses. Um, my dad was scared of horses. Uh, my great uncle, um, this this will, if you want to know, I say I've got a little country in me. Uh, my great uh, my great uncle Omer from Clarence, Missouri, used to train horses. And so that's, but, and so horses was a part of, of my grandfather's life and, and was a big part of some of my family. But the first time that my dad ever got to really get on a horse was at my uncle Omer's farm after my mom and dad, I think, were married. And uh, when he got on top of the horse, the horse thought it was my uncle Omer. And so the moment he felt the weight of my father on the horse and that knowing that my uncle Omer really liked to, to, to let things open and really go through the field as fast as possible, the moment my dad got on there, that horse went, gone. 
And all my dad could do was hold on to the bridle for the, the reins for dear life going, whoa, horsey, whoa, horsey, whoa, horsey, whoa, horsey. And finally that horse got to stop and my dad jumped off. The fact that he didn't fall off of it is a miracle. And needless to say, from that day forward, I didn't ride any horses. I think I got on one little pony one time that my uncle, that same uncle held by a rope and just went in a circle like you're at the fair. They're big and powerful animals. In fact, the, the, I, I was looking up kind of the statistics and, and the average horse weighs about 660 pounds. And obviously, when we talk about horses, that there's a wide range there. Because you can have Clydesdales on the high end that are thousands of pounds and, and obviously there are smaller horses. But even then, 660 pounds is just an average weight for a horse. They can sprint up to 55 miles an hour. They can carry somewhere around 300 pounds and pull 2,000 pounds in a wagon. They are, generally speaking, about 15 times more powerful than a human being because of their strength and their speed and all that goes with it. And yet, someone like my Uncle Omer is capable of training a horse to do whatever it wants. And I've seen those that train horses not only get on, be able to get on the horse and, 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 and guide it wherever it wants to with the reins, but sometimes train them even to a point where they just have to make a noise or hold their hand a certain way and the horse will, will go whatever direction the rider wants it to go. And a lot of times when we begin to train one of these powerful beasts, and even though they are 15 times more powerful than we are, we train them using one of these. Our passage meant, mentioned the bit inside of a horse's mouth, and that's what this is. This little bit, this little piece of metal, weighs less than a pound, or about a pound. It's about five inches long. Seemingly tiny, right? Probably for some of you in the back, it's hard to even see it. If you didn't already know what it was, which I bet you did. If you're watching on the video, you probably can't even tell what I'm holding in my hand. It's so small and thin and seemingly insignificant. And yet, this little thing, when it is placed inside a horse's mouth and the reins are attached to it, can allow your everyday run-of-the-mill human being even a teenager or a kid, to hop on, so on top of a 600-pound horse and direct it any way that it goes. It is amazing how something so small can have such a tremendous impact on something so big. And yet this is the analogy that James uses when he talks about our tongue, specifically when he talks about our speech. Our speech might seem insignificant, might seem like a small thing in the grand scheme of our lives. And yet, as the passage says, it can change the very course of our life. And with that in mind, I think it is something we need to take very seriously and need to properly consider today. 
So what does James tell us about the tongue in our passage today? Well, the first thing I want you to understand from our passage this morning is that our words may seem small, but they have a huge impact in the world. We live in a world that tries to tell us different. I want you to understand that we live in a world where we are blasted in social media, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, where people say whatever they want to say and think that it shouldn't matter and think that, that it's no big deal. And, and no matter what they say and how they say it, they think, oh, whatever. It's, if they're just words. You guys remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break, break my bones, but... Words will never, we, we have heard that for years and probably some of us have even tried to say it as a justifier or, or we've kind of, you know, heard someone try to tell us that to make us feel better about something that somebody said about us, but we know better, don't we? We say these things to convince us that words do not hurt us, but we know better. In fact, we know that words can do a great deal of harm. And that they can really affect us as a people and they can really affect other people. And, and, and that can be in a bad way, but that can also be in a good way. Our passage kind of starts to use some analogies to, to explain what words can do. And the first, the first kind of couple of analogies really talk about what words do to us. How words affect us. And have they have a big, big impact on our lives and how they shape our lives. We see this in the, the horse's bit and we see this in the, the boat's rudder. In both cases, we have something relatively small, the bit and, and the rudder, and it can direct the course of the horse or direct the course of the, the boat. And as we kind of think about this little thing, this, we put this on the horse and, and a lot of us, you know, we only really see horses you know, maybe not a lot of us, maybe I'm assuming too much, but we don't really see horses outside of kind of when they already have the bit in and the reins on and, and, and all of that type of the bridle on and the reins. And, and we kind of associate that as just being part of the horse. But it guides and directs the, ho the horse, it takes it where it needs to go. The same is true for our words. What we say, and sometimes how we say it, can make a huge difference on the direction of our lives. When we use a lot of negative speech, when we constantly look to the negative, when we, when we belittle other people, when we are constantly talking down to, to other people, when we just generally in every area of our lives use, use speech that is either negative or inappropriate or, or, or just downright sinful, we can see in our life how doors can close and friendships can dissolve and opportunities can disappear. What you say does have an impact on on the way people even perceive you and, and they're going to decide whether to, to bring you into their lives or keep you at an arm's length and, and jobs if you are at a job and all you do is complain and everything you do is negative and everything about you is just complaining and running down the people around you, that has an impact on your job performance on the way your co-workers perceive you in, in a, a thousand different ways, what you say does affect things. In fact, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
That's a lot of power. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Solomon is recognizing that speech is powerful and that it can be used for good, but can also be detrimental. We need to be careful about how we talk to people. And we need to be careful about what we say to ourselves. Because it does matter. Not only is this, there's this analogy of, like I said, the boat and the, and, and the horse and, and the reminder that, that your words and your speech can, can direct you to the left and direct you to the right or, or keep you going straight ahead. But also they use the analogy of the small fire. And depending on your translation, it may even say kindling or it may even just say a spark. And if you go to verse 5 again, I want you to see this. It says, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The other thing we need to recognize is that our speech can have an impact on other people. See, the small fire does not stay contained in and of itself, but the small fire begins to spread to something else and to something else that, that what started as a small fire begins to set something else ablaze and something else ablaze and something else ablaze until, as the, the passage talks about, until a whole forest is set ablaze by what seemed to be a small spark. I grew up in the 80s and I have indoctrinated into my head, only you can prevent forest fires. Now, who was that? Smokey the Bear. And I have this, and I have that ingrained into my brain. And so, so, and you used to have commercials, and you might even see, because it was the 80s, you might even see somebody flick a cigarette out of a window, and the next thing you know, it lights up some grass, and then there's a forest fire, and it's like, thanks a lot, Josh. And we have, and we're reminded that, that a, a small fire that's not put out appropriately or, or an unkept, you know, a cigarette butt that's not put out or whatever it is could cause a huge forest fire. And, and man, I, that, that scared me. Not only did I not want to see a forest burn down, but I didn't want to meet that bear either. And this is the analogy, and we need to remember that fires start that way, don't they? They start really small, and then they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Dennis Tharp is, is kind of my main fire starter, not just because he's kind of a pyromaniac, but I've seen that man take cardboard and, and sticks and twigs and wood and, and then light one little thing and put it in there and blow on it a few times, and then suddenly a whole fire pit is ablaze and ready for marshmallows. He didn't come with a flamethrower. Often he came with a small lighter and he lit a small piece of paper and that small piece of paper would catch the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing until the whole thing was ablaze. We have to remember that our words provide the same burn. And I bet you if we took a moment that everyone in this room could probably think of a time in their life where somebody's words really set you on a course. And hopefully, you remember good words, right? You had a teacher someday, maybe you're a teacher in the room, and you had a teacher someday at one point say, you know, you could be a teacher one day. 
Or you would, man, you'd be a really good artist or, or, or man, you're really good at that. Or you had a, a, a dad or, or a, a grandfather or someone say, wow, you're, you're, you seem to be really good at that or whatever it was. You had someone say something positive to you and affirm something you were interested in and something that you liked and that really set the course of your life. Sometimes it's a negative thing. Now, sometimes we have a parent who says, You'll never be, you will never be worth anything. And that can set our lives on a course another way too. Or we can be a young man or a young lady who someone says, you're fat or you're ugly. Or I don't think anybody will ever love you. And those words sink in deep, don't they? And they begin to have an effect on how we see ourselves and how we view ourselves. And, and, and to the one that's told that they're, they look fat, they, they'll never be skinny enough after that. Or that they're, they're unattractive and they'll never really believe that anybody would ever find them beautiful for just being who they are. Or telling them that they're, they're dumb and then they'll believe that no matter what they accomplish, that they're still, that they're not smart and that they, they'll never be able to figure things out and so they just quit things before even trying. All of us have had people tell us things, both good and bad, that have an impact on us even today. Some of us holding on to those things for not just a year, but for decades. Again, the Proverbs say, there's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. But the tongue of the wise bring healing. That's Proverbs twelve eighteen. We cannot say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Or words will never hurt them. We cannot just dismiss our speech. We cannot think that we can just say what we want to say, when we want to say, how we want to say it. And and, and as long as we end it with, hey, I'm just saying. Or "I, I was just playing. And think that our words do not have an impact on the people around us, whether it's our children or our friends or our classmates or our co-workers. The things we say affect us. And the things we say affects others. Which means as followers of God, we must use our words carefully. Look at verses 6 through 8 to kind of give some of the weight that James puts on this. Beginning in verse 6, he says, The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. That it sets our members um, so that they defile the entire body. They set fire, the course of our life, a, a fire set by hail, or excuse me, by, wow, I was getting country there for a second. So set by hell. That, that all of these animals have been tamed, but we can't tame the tongue. That no one can tame the tongue because it is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. James has an extremely negative viewpoint of the tongue. And even though we've kind of already mentioned, you know, good things can happen too, right? 
compliments in, in our lives lead us to, to make career choices and, and to, to pursue things and to overcome adversity. Like there are good things about speech. And the, I think that if it was just a lost cause, then, then, then there wouldn't be so much other scripture about speech. But James has a very negative viewpoint of speech. And I think there's a reason for that. Because I think James has seen some stuff. And he has some experience, some things, and he has seen how devastating speech can be in this world. He saw it probably in Matthew 15, where we read these words. It says, the crowd went up and began asking him, being Pilate, to do as he had been accustomed to for them. And Pilate answered them and said, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up Pilate and said to them, then what? And so Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with him who is called the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Imagine being there for a moment. You are Jesus brother. You are aware of the weight of what is going on. You're aware of how things have turned on your brother. And then you watch as the chief priests, the people that are leading the people that are supposed to be the religious leaders that are supposed to be bringing the people closer to God are the very ones stirring up and creating the controversy and whispering into the crowd so that the whole crowd begins to shout, crucify him, crucify him to your own brother a person who Pilate himself had said had not done anything wrong now I don't think at this point and this is just me speculating I don't think that by this point James knew really who Jesus was but I imagine when he saw the resurrected Jesus when he saw his brother alive from the grave then he believed But regardless of that fact, I do think that he thought, I have seen words turn a crowd to murder. Not only this, but he probably heard stories like we find in Acts chapter 17. And as Paul was going through and preaching the gospel to all the places, it says in Acts 17, 5, but the Jews became jealous And taking some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring Paul and his associates out to the people. He had seen how people going in and proclaiming good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ had been had become the the marks of a mob mentality because certain people stirred up the crowd with their speech and with their words and what they said and how they said it to the point that an entire city wanted to see somebody hurt and they didn't care if it was Paul or Timothy or Luke or Silas or even Jason just the guy who gave them a place to sleep See, words can do a lot of damage. And our words, even as we try to follow Jesus, can do a lot of damage as well. This is why we have verses like James 3.1 that says, Let us, let not many assume to be teachers, because words matter. 
And as followers of Jesus, as we talk to people, that is teaching them something about Jesus and teaching them something about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And when we claim to be followers of Jesus, and yet we do nothing but, but, but produce uh, jealousy and envy and hatred and anger and name-calling and frustration and negativity and, and, and hopelessness and sorrow and, and all of those things, people are going to say, if this is what it means to be a follower, follower of Jesus, I'm out. And make no mistake, there are people who claim to follow Jesus that ain't got nothing nice to say. And they have had an impact on people because of it. And that negativity has an impact on them as well. Paul instructs us about what we should do concerning speech in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, when he says, Let no unwholesome speech proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So we need to stop for a moment and we need to ask ourselves the question, Are my words helping my walk with Jesus or is it harming it? Does my constant negativity and anger and bitterness and rivalry and whatever it might be, is that keeping me from a close walk with God? Or do my words help encourage me to to walk with the Lord? And not only that, but what about it for other people? Are my words helping other people have a closer walk with Jesus? Or do my words ultimately push them away from a close walk with Jesus, harming it? I want you to understand something. Your words are not neutral. You can't say, first off, you know, you can't say, well, no one really knows I'm a Christian, so it doesn't matter. We've already, we've already killed that. Because your words matter. And even if no one knows you're a Christian, your words are either drawing you to a closer relationship with Jesus, or your words are drawing you away from a close relationship with Jesus. What are your words doing? Are you speaking the truth in love? Are you seeking to to edify, to build up not only only yourself, which is important, and being reminded that, that you're a sinner saved by grace and that you have a God who loves you and will not forsake you and that no matter how low you may feel that God loves you and no matter how great things are going that you still need Him, are you, are you speaking these things into your life? But also, how does that affect other people? Are your words building up other people? If they're lost people, does it make them at the very least say, you know, I may not believe this Jesus stuff, but I appreciate you. Because that's a start, right? Now, ultimately, we don't want to make it all about us. We want to point them to Jesus, but that's a start. Because that at least gives us a platform to talk to them. Or do we have, you know, do we have lost people that say, I will never be a Christian because of you? If my speech is leading me or my family or you or people that I get to interact with on the daily away from a close walk with God, then I have to make a change. 
I have to make a change because that is not what I was created for. I was not created to draw people from the Lord, but to draw people to him. And so that leads us to the final question, which is how do I do that? How do I, how do I change my speech? How do I see to it that, that my speech is not something that sets a fire that leads people away from God? And I believe that the scriptures point to us that it all starts with the heart. James goes on to point out in our passage how there seems to be something wrong with us when we try to praise God but also curse our brother. That there's this, he talks about this hypocrisy that, that really manifests itself in our speech. And, and guys, we have to admit we're guilty of this. We have to. And we will say, we will come into church on Sunday and we will be like, be like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God's forgiven me. Yah, yah, yah. You know, you know, go, go, go. And then we'll get, leave here and, and go into work on Monday and start saying horrible things about whichever political party you don't agree with. And maybe you talk about how stupid our president is or how stupid our last president is, or we immediately go into work and talk about how much we hate our boss. And we, so we do it. We all, and I would say all of us do it in some way, shape, or form. We'll come into church and we'll praise God, but then we'll leave and something will happen and we'll go, I hate him. Or we get in our car and we drive behind somebody that, you know, feels the need to go 53 in a 55 and we're like, move! I see hand waving in the back. That's nice. If I was a moment of confession, my big problem, and my kids will affirm this, is I'll be driving, and you know how people like go to make a right turn and take forever to make the turn? And like there's a shoulder and maybe even a turning lane, and I'm like, go, 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 go! So I do this. And we praise God with our mouth and we curse men with our mouth and james says it shouldn't be this way there's something amuck in our heart and we got to figure that out in fact when when he gives this teaching in, in and we see in in verse 10 he says my brethren it ought not not be this way we we can look back and we can recognize that see James is is really pulling directly from the teachings of Jesus. We've talked about that almost every week. How almost everything James says can we can go right back to the gospels and right back to a teaching of Jesus and say this is why James is saying this. James is saying this because Jesus said this. And this is true here. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 12 verse starting in verse 33. Jesus said these things. He said either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of the good treasure that it, what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every carelessness, careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This means for us today that, that when we begin to notice a pattern in our lives of negative speech, 
that we are insulting people, that we are demeaning people, that we are discouraging people. And, and not only that, but, but we're doing it to ourselves, that we are speaking doubt, that we are belittling ourselves, that we are defeating ourselves, even within our m- own mind, that something is wrong with our hearts. And that we are, are, are doing those things, not just because, because that's just how we are, but because we're pulling something from our heart that is not of God. Our heart is not where it should be. We are not trusting in the Lord. We are not leaning on His Word and His understanding. And we are not listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our life. Where is your speech today? How do you talk to your friends and how do you talk to yourself in the mirror? What do you say to yourself when you're lying in bed at night and you're staring up at the ceiling? These things reveal what is going on in our heart. And I think that they're revealing where our heart is is placed and where our heart is planted. And when we are planted and dug deep into this world and into the schemes of the enemy, into our own fleshly desires, we begin to see what blossoms from that is these negative words, both to ourselves and to others. And they ultimately make us look like the world and talk like the world and feel like the world. But it should not be this way if you are in Christ. But if indeed you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you have made him the Lord of your life, we need to ask, have you dug yourself into the word? And has your heart been planted in it? Do we trust in Jesus and listen to the Holy Spirit as he guides us through the scriptures? Then we begin to produce the things that reveal Christ to the world and to ourselves. Things like wisdom and encouragement and hope. What is your speech? What is the fruit of your speech? Is it negativity and defeating or is it hope and truth? You may be sitting in the pew today and thinking to yourself, ah, preacher, come off of it. This is just who I am. And I've always been this way and I'm probably always going to be this way. And I'm just not one of those positive, encouraging rainbows and sunshine type of people. Well, that's not what I'm asking you to be. I'm not saying you have to be in a good mood all the time. I'm not saying you need to spend your days listening to Care Bears music and playing with butterflies. I'm not calling you to be some happy-go-lucky person. I'm not calling you to be me. I'm not even calling you to just be some really happy, gee golly. But I am calling you to be like Jesus. And calling you to put your trust in Him. And calling you to let God work in your life in such a way that what you say and what you do and even what you think might point you and might point others to want to know who Jesus is too. See, a lot of times our speech reveals what's going on in our heart. And because it's a heart issue, it needs to start with Christ. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, and I don't know, you know how, what your speech is like and kind of how, how you interact with other people, but I am going to tell you right now that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is where it has to start. Because you're not going to be able to fix your speech until you fix your heart. And the only way that we fix our heart is by giving it to Jesus. Handing over ourselves and our wills to Him and saying, listen, I can't do this. And if I'm going to have transformation that starts in the heart, then I need someone to transform my heart. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. So we believe at this church that, that God made everything on purpose and with a purpose, and that includes you. But because of sin, because we decided that we wanted to create our own purpose, that we wanted to go do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it, we sinned against God and we found ourselves where we didn't really want to be, which is in a place of brokenness. And see, and it's from that place of brokenness that all that, all that negativity and all those words get messed up. And yeah, we can try to fix the outward stuff on our own and we can say, well, I'll just be a nicer person. But what we recognize is, is, is cleaning up the external does not fix the internal. And we can try to be a good person and we can try to good, do good things and we can show up to church on a Sunday. But the reality is, is if the inside doesn't change, nothing changes. And since we can't fix our inside on our own, Christ came to do it for us. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Literally saying that Jesus came to move us from death into life. And he did that by living a perfect life and dying on the cross, taking our place. And he rose again three days later to give us new life in Christ. And if we will believe in Jesus, believe that who he is is true, what he says is true, and we will make him the Lord of our lives, turning from sin and turning towards Jesus, that he will deliver us from our sin and our brokenness, that he will give us the Holy Spirit and that he will give us new life. And with new life comes a new heart and with a new heart becomes new opportunities to change even our speech. So it has to start there. And I would challenge you today that if you are with us today and you have not given your life to Jesus, that that happened today. Because let me tell you, it will be a true Thanksgiving celebration if we get to along with that celebrate someone who is dead but is now alive because of Jesus. But if you're with us today and you... You say you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus, but you're recognizing even now that your speech does not reflect what your heart ought to be. Then today is the day to go to the Lord and to confess that. See, becoming more like Jesus and having a heart that's more like Jesus is not an instantaneous thing, it's a process. And sometimes we need to keep going back to the Lord and saying, God, I'm, I, you know, I made you the Lord of your life, but I've still been holding on to this and, I'm, and I want to give this to you. And hey, hey, it just brought to my attention. You know, I'm real positive when I go to church and I'm pretty good with my kids. But man, when I get in that car, mm-mm. And so I need to hand that to you or in my work, my work life to you or whatever it needs to be. And you just need to go to the Lord and say, God, I said I would do this, but I really haven't been. And God, I just need to confess that and hand that over to you. God wants to hear those prayers.
And God begins, wants to begin working in the areas of your life that maybe you've been kind of shielding from Him and hiding from Him. He wants to do a work in every area of your life. And all you have to do is surrender it. And God's inviting you to do that today too. And you can come up to the steps and you can pray and you can hand those things over to God if you want to come and talk to me and, and just say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I need to, to hand over to the Lord and I'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. But we want you to make a response. And even if that means you just have to talk to the person that you came with, I would love it if some of those conversations even happened over turkey and dressing and all that good stuff. But don't leave today speaking the exact same way you came in with a heart that has not changed because you just let it pass on by. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you because you are the truth. God, we praise you that you have not just left us to, to not change at all. That, God, you have not abandoned us to, to just whatever fills up our brain and our hearts now. So, and, and that we just have to keep on living in, in hopelessness and negativity. But, God, you saw fit to work in our lives. My God and my joy, Lord, I pray that today would be a day that we all check our hearts based on what comes out of our mouths. And God, that we would recognize first and foremost, if we need to give our life to you, Lord, that today would be the day we do it. And God, also, if we have done that, but we haven't really been handing things over to you and that has affected our speech and that's affected the way we, we interact with others, Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sin and Lord, that we would come to you in confession and repentance. God, I know that you want to transform each and every one of us today. And God, I pray even now that your spirit would fall heavy on us so that we might be transformed by your word and that we might be a voice for good in this world to see the kingdom expand. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.